What's up, everybody? This is Elliot Terrell, and you're listening to Magical Thinking. Our guest for this episode is John Wilson. John is a relatively unknown magician from Texas, but he creates powerful, genuinely magical experiences for people that I have seen few rival. I've been enormously lucky to spend time with him at Lance Pierce's convention in Dallas, and we recently had John out to San Diego to film some of his remarkable pieces for artofmagic.com. In the episode, you'll hear us talk about John's unorthodox path in magic, his relatively recent and consuming passion for the tarot, which he employs without supernatural condescension to great effect, and his ideas regarding making intimate, memorable, meaningful moments of magic with people that he meets. This might be the weirdest episode I've done, and I couldn't be any happier with it. A lot of the thinking that John shares really resonated with me in our conversation, and it is still resonating with me right now. I can't wait for you to get into this episode. As I mentioned, look out for John's upcoming material on artofmagic.com, and you can also find his recent Penguin Live lecture that he did a few weeks ago. I also strongly recommend finding John's books, You and Me and the Devil Makes Three, written by Jared Koff. There's two volumes, and both are wonderfully thought-provoking and contain really great presentational ideas and devious methods. If you love magical thinking and want to show your support, head over to patreon.com slash magical thinking. Patreon helps me get better equipment for the show, as well as enables me to share the podcast with a wider audience. By becoming a patron, you get access to behind-the-scenes pictures and videos. I just finished an audiobook. The Art of the Stage by Burling Hull. This is an old book on stagecraft that I have read. It's about an hour long, and you can get that by becoming a patron. You can also join me for a new revamped book club, or you can sit down and have a one-on-one chat with me. Again, that's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Magical Thinking. If you haven't already, follow us on Instagram and Facebook by searching Magical Thinking Podcast and Art of Magic. Join our newsletter at artofmagic.com. And if you want to learn magic or become a better magician, check out the Ambassador Program on artofmagic.com. You'll get exclusive access to material that's never been released or is long out of print, and you'll also be able to message our team of experts directly. If you ever need some guidance or inspiration, we'll be there to help. Anyway, get into the episode. John is amazing, and this is one of the episodes that I'm going to go back to and listen to over and over again. If you have any magic-related questions or comments on the show, let me know what you think by emailing podcast at artofmagic.com. Get into John's episode. It's wonderful. This is John Wilson. Enjoy. This, will be, this is the first time I've ever used this equipment like this, so <clears throat> you're just going to have to bear with me as I try and figure it out so we don't ruin anything. You may need to bring a chair closer, actually. Get real intimate and cozy in here. Okay, I I said I was gonna take these off. I don't think I am because I don't want to lose sound. Okay, because because that would really be fucking awful. I'm okay with that. Okay, it's I mean it's awkward. It's a little awkward, but <laughs> this is weird. It is. It's it's a little strange. It seems so artificial. <laughs> This is not as easy as it is when you don't have to hold the microphone. Yeah, holding a microphone to your mouth while we're sitting in adjacent chairs <laughs> and pretending to, that this is just normal 
<laughs> it's not easy. This is. <laughs> it's, it's good. This is. It's good. I like. I like awkward things. O- awkward things. I, l- I like those awkward moments. And this is going to be a long, a consistently awkward. <laughs> awkward. But maybe at some point we'll forget that we're holding microphones up, and Unlikely. there's no crowd in front of us. <laughs> how's it? How's everybody doing tonight? <laughs> You I'll be here all week. You can't hear the crowd because they're not mic'd up like we are, but there's... Yeah, they don't have as nice equipment as, <laughs> as what we're dealing with here. <laughs> um, well, we we filmed today. We did. It was fun. Yeah, I get to mess up my routines and then do them again <laughs> until they work the right way. <laughs> It's just like real life. Just like real life. <laughs> Let me show you guys what this is supposed to look like, and then you do it again, and that's the out. <laughs> the out is you just perform the whole show over again. What? Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, for how you do magic, there there is no definitive ending to a, a routine sometimes. Yeah, yeah, no, that's... I, I want the magic to go home with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if... If I've done my job the right way, then then they are different, and that's the magic. That's that's them going off on their own as a different person than they came in. Yes, <laughs> I like that. That that feels right to me. How did you come to that place? Oh, uh, <laughs> how did I come <laughs> to that place? Like from the beginning, that's that's. I mean, that's a long journey. Well, I mean, what was the shift like? Because uh, you know, you did close up tricks, but there was what was the 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 instance that shifted what you knew magic could be. There were a few. I mean, several different shifts like that that happened, and and they keep happening. I mean, I think that's that's the most important thing is that I'm always looking for the next thing that's going to be like oh everything that came before that is worthless you are nothing and and you need to rebuild everything anew um the first thing early on was reading absolute magic it was one of the first few magic books that i had and when was that that was in it was whatever year the reprint came out that h&r put out i was like Day one, I picked that up at the magic shop, and that would have been, I don't know, early, I want to say early 2000s. I mean, it must have been early 2000s, but I don't know exactly what year. But, I mean, I had, I think, six other magic books. I I exhausted the ones that you could find at Barnes & Noble and Borders Books. Those those used to be places you could buy books for the younger people. <laughs> there, there aren't really bookstores anymore, anywhere. Uh but I found, you know, Royal Road to Card Magic, Expert Card Technique, uh, Stage Illusions, Optical Effects, and that's not the name of that book, but it's something <laughs> like that. You know the one I mean. Uh, and then I found out that a magic shop existed in Dallas, Texas, and and I found it in the phone book <laughs> because that's what you had to do back then before Google Maps. And... Uh, and went to the magic shop and started learning things. And I mean, at first it was just packet tricks and, you know, little odds and ends, color changing knives, the hot rod, that kind of stuff. And then 
I started wanting to do other things. I think the the I think the guy behind the counter showed me a card trick, and I asked him how much that was, and he said, "Well, it's in this book." I was like, "Well, what about the cards for it?" Because all I knew was gaffed card magic, and he said they were regular cards. So I guess even before Absolute Magic, it was that moment where it was like, "What? <laughs> what do you mean?" <laughs> and, and I think the first two books I got from there that were more secretive magic books, at least, were Impossibilia and the uh, J.C. Wagner book. And then I think next, there might have been one other, and then it was Absolute Magic, which was like a, an atom bomb went off in my face. But I'd still never seen Darren Brown do anything. Mm-hmm. It was just, I was just kind of taking his word for it. But he tells the story about some other guy, not even him in there, doing a Balducci levitation while giving an incantation to the sun god. And I was like, what? I don't, I don't have anything like that. (laughs) I wasn't even sure that, that something like that could work, you know? Um, So... I wasn't really sure that he was serious, but it, it broke my heart. It did what it was supposed to do. Uh, and then shortly after that, YouTube started to have videos of uh, of Darren Brown's TV shows. And it was like, oh, he's he's definitely getting closer to that than I was. Uh, I mean, these people clearly believed what he was doing, and I had no idea how, how anything was working. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, that was, that was a huge thing. So that that kind of put me in a holding pattern for for a long time where I just kept doing the same effects and kind of polishing them, but it was still regular close-up material because um, I didn't know where to find the material that I wanted to do because I didn't even know what, what you could do, you know. Those, those books are harder to find because nobody knows what they are. Other magicians don't. One of my favorite books is called The Messiah Process, uh, have you read that one? No, I haven't. What is that? It's it's John Riggs, and it's it's about how to start a cult by splitting people's personalities. Oh my god! <laughs> it's it's I I don't do any of the material out of that one, mm-hmm. but I've read that book a few times uh, because it was just like what? It's another one of those another one of those moments where it's like man. I guess you can take this this far if you wanted to, but I still, again, I didn't know how to get there. So, I mean, that was that was when the shift happened in, in me thinking about things, you know, around that time. But Why did the shift happen? What was it that made you want to do magic that changed people? So, near that time, pretty early on, I'd probably been doing close-up magic for three years or so and I I mostly would do magic back then at, at a bar, the bar I went to all the time and and somebody believed one of the card tricks that I did and she screamed and ran away and I that I was hooked. Like that just just that belief element. I was it took me a second to figure out what had happened, why she ran away. Did someone throw a rock at her? Uh did her abusive ex-husband walk in the door behind me? But no, it was none of those things. It was that the one card changed to the other card. And I just kind of stood there tingling. I was like, what? How do I, 
how do I make that happen again? And so then it, it was more and more that how do, I, how do I make that reaction happen? So it wasn't even, at that point, it was more about trying to, to get the belief element in place and, and to get the strong reactions uh, and to try and get to more buy-in from, from the participants, from the, the spectators and, and having those kinds of experiences. But over time, that evolved, and I th- it evolved for Darren Brown, too. I mean, if you look at the early TV shows, he was doing, you know, essentially standard-ish mentalism material in the street, but then his specials progressed into him, you know, making a coward a hero, <laughs> making a lazy person successful and, and dedicated to their job now, which... Like that's 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 an interesting effect, you know. It's just once you have the belief, you have to ask yourself, okay, then what do I do with it? What I, I need to do something with it, and it's not enough just to just to have it. Mm-hmm. At, at least once you're getting it, you're like, okay, now I have some responsibility. You know, <laughs> it's like I I need to to do something good with this attention that that these people are being nice enough to give me. Um, and they're being very open when they're in a situation like that. I mean, that is about as candid as someone can get is when you've just shattered their universe mm-hmm. in one way or another. Um, I, I guess that, that kind of answers the question or starts to. Um, much later on, uh, Alejandro Yadorovsky was a big influence and he... I, I'm sure that most of the listeners are not familiar with his work, uh, but you should be. So he he was a filmmaker. He made the first midnight movie, which is called El Topo, um, which was very successful, but definitely is a strange, surrealist tale that uh, is a Western that tells the story of the Bible, essentially, right? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and he he also made the Holy Mountain. There's there's a documentary about his version of Dune that never got made, but gave birth to all of modern science fiction cinema called Yadorovsky's Dune. And you should check that out. Um, but in addition to to that, he also makes comic books, and he was involved in mime and the surrealist movement and all these other fantastic things. But he also reads tarot cards and has a, a practice that he calls psychomagic, where he's basically delivering metaphors to people to try and help them work through their problems, to change the way they see things. So he's using the tarot basically to diagnose someone and then giving them a metaphor to fix their problem, which is just real magic i mean there's no supernatural element involved it's just the tarot and and symbol manipulation which is um, probably the the best definition of magic is just the the manipulation of symbols but i think i'd add to that the the acknowledgement and delivery of symbols as well um I mean, if you just hand someone something that is powerful and meaningful to them, then you don't need a bottom palm, you know, 
that's that by itself is is really strong juju. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I was experiencing a dissatisfaction with the magic that I was doing because it wasn't meaningful, but I didn't know how to make it meaningful. And <clears throat> I remember sitting down with Jared at one of the Pebble conventions and he did he does a routine where he reads cards not for a person he just reads them and then they appear again at the end and it's a strange it's not like the four aces or something it's random cards and nobody would be able to remember those cards if you ask them to but because of the meaning that he associates with them through his reading when they appear again you obviously remember those cards and it's you know it's a powerful thing and he secretly taught you how to memorize playing cards as well yeah yeah and uh and i was i was moved by that i was like wow that is amazing that is uh strong and powerful in a way that you know my all of this time that i spent honing these sleight of hand techniques they could help me get there and they helped me understand you know what i understand but now as i'm trying to move into this other realm of powerful magic and meaning Uh, This, you know, I've started going back to the much simpler things and the things that are much more hands-off and much more about being in a space with someone and, you know, sharing an experience. Right. It's, I mean, if if you can take a move out of an effect, then you should. Vernon says that in a couple of places, I think. But you can probably just keep cutting, you know. I mean, you can get rid of sometimes all of the the moves all of the deception and still have magic so if the moves themselves aren't magic and the moves are supposed to be invisible anyways then if i'm not doing magic when i'm doing the moves why am i doing them right i'm i'm doing them for myself mm-hmm. right i i do those moves because it's pleasing to me to make the pass in that way it's pleasing for me to square up the deck the way that I do. And if I'm doing it for me, then I'm I'm not doing it for them. You know, it should be a thing that they wouldn't notice in the first place. Um, what is your definition of magic? To me, magic is the acknowledgement, delivery, and manipulation of symbols, right? It, it could be enough for me to hand you something that's meaningful to you, it could be enough for me to point at something that is meaningful to you that you just didn't notice yet. And it could be enough for me to take one of these things and burn it, tear it in half, or to restore it, or something like that, right? To do something to this thing, but it needs to be meaningful first. You know, if I'm just tearing up something that doesn't mean anything to you, and then restoring the thing that doesn't mean anything to you, well, then I have to have something else. I have to tell you that it's a metaphor. And that's probably not as strong, but but just directly dealing with the things that are meaningful to people, that's, that's real magic. And I think it's happening all the time, all around us, every day. Do you think that, because I've seen you, this weekend and at other times, but mostly this weekend, I've seen you do effects, tricks 
for people. How much of your time performing your definition of magic is spent doing tricks that most magicians would go, oh, something impossible happens, so it's a quote-unquote magic trick? So there are, there are elements in there that, that are like that, but I'm, I try to avoid that if I can even now. I'm, it it kind of depends on, on the setting and what it is that I'm, if I'm hired to accomplish that thing or if it's, you know, at, at a venue where I'm working or just a place where I'm hanging out. I might do different things for different people at the same event. Mm-hmm. Uh, was reading tarot at a wedding and just reading the tarot and I mean, it was a, a line across the building for people just wanting to sit down to ask pieces of paper a question. And a couple of people got magic tricks mixed in there. You know, it's just percentage-wise, it's tough to say because it depends on where I am. And if I'm doing a formal stand-up show, there, there definitely, there's definitely more of a theatrical frame and, and clear things that have happened and people know when when the effect is done, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah, um, it's more uh, traditional magic-y stuff. A, a little bit, yeah. I mean, it's still probably not like most of the shows that 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 you would see. I mean, there are almost no props. It's well, can no. so can we give maybe some references so that we're not tripping over semantics a little bit? So mm-hmm. let's say, like, let's say for example, uh, ambitious card would be just the blanket term that we're going to use for like a magic trick. Right. And then like the wishing coin would Mm -hmm. be something that is not, there's not like anything clearly impossible happening necessarily, but it's, it gives the participant the experience of magic and the experience of wonder. Right. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, there's not, even in my stand-up show, there's not much that feels like the ambitious card. You know, there's, there's, there, there's a book test, but it's a memorized book rather than you think of any word, right? There, I'm not making what I would consider hidden claims, mm-hmm. you know, in, in what's going on. Um, yeah, it's, 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 there, there are magic moments, but even the things that, the more traditional magic moments, but even those things end up framed as, as part of the bigger thing or some other thing that that's real that's happening you know i do a hypnosis set where someone's hand is stuck to the table and then it's stuck to their head and then they bend a coin with that arm right like they've got this extra strength so of course there's there's some some chicanery involved right um but it's structured in such a way that it doesn't feel like ta-da you know yeah um you know, and then they're given a ritual to perform with the coin when they're done with it. You know, like that that magic again carries on outside of the show. Which just that just that element that we talked about before of the magic kind of continuing on with them after, that's I mean, part of that is an easy enough thing to do just by giving someone instructions for what to do when they go home. Right? Here's this thing, now here's a ritual. <laughs> and then they Maybe they go home and don't do it, but maybe they go home and they do, you know, um, which just, just the suggestion that they should go do that thing or interact with the world in this weird way is, I think, the right kind of magic. Um, 
So, I mean, occasionally I will do more traditional kind of close-up material or things that are that you would recognize the plot of. You know, oh, that's that's the Chicago opener, kind of, right? <laughs> yeah. But even, and you saw that today, the, the way that I do that is probably different from the way those routines are normally structured. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm most of the traditional close-up material that I've done in my life was with playing cards. And most of the time nowadays, I don't even have playing cards with me. I, I still love them. I still practice, you know, my false shuffles and, and moves and, and older routines occasionally. But when I'm out in the world, a lot of the time I... I just don't have them with me, so there's a much better chance that we're going to read the tarot or, or answer a question in one way or another. Yeah. I, I love it, and it's moving to me. I, I, how do you approach performing these things informally? I, I recently got a question somebody emailed in about how a lot of the people on the show talk about what it is that they do professionally, and we don't often talk about informal performance. Mm-hmm. So informally, if you're carrying a, a pack of tarot cards, you are an informal god. <laughs> you know, that's, you, it's not weird when you pull them out. I mean, it's weird, but in a different way. I have not pulled these out to impress you. you know? So, I mean, no matter what someone thinks about predicting the future, divination in general, um, they, they will have a relatively strong opinion one way or the other about the cards and about you as a person who has the cards with them. And if you were to pull them out and just say, have you seen these before? And then they're not going to probably react exactly like, like they would, like they, like they are internally on the outside. They're not going to be like, oh, it's a lunatic, <laughs> which is very, which is very probable. They, they'll, they will either think that I'm a lunatic who believes in a bunch of new age stuff that I don't believe in, or they'll believe all of it and really want a reading, or somewhere in the middle, right? Yeah. This, they're, they're curious about it, but it's probably not a thing. And then when they hear the way that we talk about those things, the way I talk about those things with them, there's no, there's no baggage. None of that baggage that they expect to be there is there. I don't have any of the barriers up that, that they expect. And then depending upon their reaction to the cards, I can, I can, I can play it from there. I mean, I, it, it can be more of a traditional magic experience because there are tricks that, that I use that use the playing, that use tarot cards we could just do a reading and that's probably the best answer is, uh, is just to read the cards for them, but they will have a strong reaction to them one way or the other. So, I mean, if I'm in an impromptu situation and want someone to, uh, to ask me to do something, all I need to do is make it known that I have those with me. Mm-hmm. Or if I just mention the tarot, then someone is going to ask if I have them and they're hooked. It's that. I don't have to pull out the I don't have to pull out the cards and say, "Would you like to see a trick? Pick a, pick a card, any card, right? None, <laughs> none, of, none of that." Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's much easier to, especially if it's one on one or with a small group of people, to not just get them to agree to see a thing, 
but to be instantly engaged because they want to hear what I have to say, whether they think what I have to say is lunacy or something awesome, they're curious, you know? Their curiosity is always there. So just letting them know who I am and what I do, they'll, they'll have questions, you know? If, if people ask me what I do and I want and I want to do something for them or I'm okay with doing something, if I tell them I'm a terologist, hypnotist, and magician, they're going to have questions, right? They might, they might ask to, if I can hypnotize them. They might ask for me to read the cards or they might ask for magic, but the magic's probably a distant third, you know? They're, they don't usually see those other options and then say, let's do some light entertainment, <laughs> you know, which isn't to say that magic has to be that. And, yeah. I, and I certainly don't think my magic is that, but that is the association that, that people will typically have with it. It's, it's the kind of thing you hire for your, for your children's birthday parties, right? It's for the kids while the adults are talking, mm-hmm. which it certainly doesn't have to be, but that is, that is what they think by and large. And so you're as a magician doing these meaningful things, changing people's perspective on what it is that we do. Trying to. Yeah. Which I don't, I don't think you can easily change their perspective toward the entire art form because most of it is, is built in, I think before they've ever seen a magician, you know, there, there are effects in magic that people would probably swear to you that they've seen before that they probably haven't seen an actual magician do. I mean, everyone is familiar with the linking rings being a magical effect because, I don't know, was it in Bugs Bunny or something? You know, like it must have been somewhere. I knew I was familiar with the idea of it, mm-hmm. and I knew I had never seen anyone do the linking rings mm-hmm. until I was in my 20s. But, yeah. you know, I I knew it existed. I knew what it was. No one needed to explain to me what was going to happen. You know, um, so, I mean, that the images that people have of what a magician is and what they're willing to accept from a magician is just kind of built in. It's built into the language and the way that we think about magic. It's why people who haven't seen magic will tell you that they don't like it. It's because they, they know it's supposed to be kitschy. They know it's supposed to be meaningless. They know that it's them being wrong. And I don't think... At least a lot of people don't like that. But there, again, there are people who appreciate it on the other levels, on the levels that we want them to, that, that like the things about it that we like about it. But uh, yeah, I don't think you can, you can just, in broad strokes, change the mind of, of humanity. You know, they've... <laughs> most people's parents, if, if you announce that you were dating a magician will not be thrilled about it. <laughs> right? And like like it's just it's just culturally built in. They they expect that that means that you like childish things, that you like frivolous things, you know. So it's tough to change that for everyone, but I think it certainly changes their perception of me. But I'm I don't think the way the way that I look most of the time at least, I don't think they expect me to just do lighthearted things anyways. Yeah. Kind of weird looking. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You and Jared both have sort of cultivated this 
image of wizardry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, if we, the, the massive beard helps. I like the beard. Uh, wearing a pendulum around your neck, that, that keys them off. Or my ring. My ring has Odin's ravens on it. It's very nice. Yeah. Uh, chicks dig it. <laughs> <laughs> Subtle clues. Yeah. Um, Hi, Brooke. <laughs> uh, where do you find your presentational inspiration? So mostly from other art forms. Um, yeah, I mean, the surrealist movement in, in general, Andre Breton, Robert Desnaux, um, from math and science, from poetry, from movies, uh, from from just things that happen to you when you're on the street, you know, you just have to look at things with this eye of what's what's phenomenal about what's going on right now. Is this something special? And the answer should should be probably probably. I mean, this this arrangement of atoms mm-hmm. is kind of unique to to right here, and my perspective on it is not one this this chair isn't normally the way the way it is in this room so most people don't see this room from the perspective that I see it in right now right that's that's just different from the way that everyone else has probably seen this room so far and all because we moved a chair right the chair the chair itself is probably meaningless but moving the chair now became meaningful just by looking at it in the right way and i think anything we can look at the right way and find meaning, right? It's, it, it is completely accurate to say that we're just in a room, in a city, in a state, right? Like yeah. we're, we're just sitting, you're on a couch and I am in a wooden chair. <laughs> yes. And that, that doesn't sound that interesting. But if we realize that we're on a giant rock that's circling a giant fireball that's inside of a spiral that's made out of other fireballs, that's in a sea of other spirals, in a sea of dark. That, that's also accurate. That's, that's exactly where we are right now. Mm-hmm. Well, and that, that's pretty dope. <laughs> right, right now it's, it's dark outside, which means we're in the shadow of the planet. That's kind of cooler than just thinking of it as being nighttime, right? Yeah. So you just look at things and try to find the poetry in them, and then now they're meaningful things. And once we see that the meaning is there, then we try and find ways to, to share that meaning or, or to change the meaning if we don't like the meaning that we found there. Um, and then to give the gift of looking at things that way to people. Have you ever seen somebody do this kind of thing with humor? Like... Uh... I don't know. I don't know how. I, what question I'm trying to ask right now, but like a comedy wizard. Yeah, is there such a thing as a comedy wizard? So, I I think you can certainly be funny and have serious and meaningful presentations. Mm-hmm. Um, I have my moments, but I'm I'm not especially funny when I'm when I'm on. But mm-hmm. it does happen. Jared has really funny moments in in his show. Um, you know, he's, he's worked comedy clubs and gotten better laughs than, than the comedians that went on before and after him. And they're like, how did you do that? You know, 
because people are opening up and being vulnerable when you're dealing with things in this way, we're now we're in a, a real conversational style. They are free, and we're just having a real conversation. So, I mean, if you're a funny guy, you don't have to make yourself not be funny mm-hmm. to see things in a cool way, you know? Um, by all means, be funny, be funnier, you know? But if we think about it as a, a comedy act or an act that's under... Uh, that it that's underpinning is a is a, a comedic nature that that's the real message it's trying to get across then we're playing a different game mm-hmm. um so if it's clear that your objective is to ultimately just to make people laugh one way or another which is there's i i love comedy magicians some of them of course sure um and and there's nothing wrong with with being a comedian, especially. Um, but it's tough to get this other kind of commitment out of it, you know? They're, if it's clear that what you want is for them to not take you seriously, it's much harder to then get them to turn around and take you seriously for a moment. It can be done, um, but it's that, that is a sharp turn that everyone will notice. Yeah. It's like, whoa, hey, we're... What happened to the fart jokes? <laughs> yeah, now, <laughs> now he's trying to rip the fear out of my chest. Um, but if you're being serious with someone and you're a funny person, there's nothing wrong with having humor involved. You know, that's that's perfectly natural. And because it's not because it's not the the uh, the unsaid goal of the act on the whole, it's. Uh, it's pretty easy to to get laughs if you if you want to get a laugh or if you're saying something funny they say they'll be very open to it because you've got them in this heightened state essentially where it's it's an experience they probably never had before no one no one told them that they could care <laughs> right um, about a, a variety performer yeah uh, um so yeah it's 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 easy enough to have jokes in there i think it can work the other way with a comedy act, but it's much harder if there's lots of laughs and lots of jokes and a lot of not being taken seriously. It's tough to say, okay, but for real this time, let me cure your fear. <laughs> Did that answer your question? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I just, uh, I don't know. The guys that I see doing this kind of magic this kind of um, experiential, I don't, I don't really even know how to describe it, honestly, in, in the context of a magic podcast. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, but you guys are, are funny, super funny. Right. But when you enter this mode, there's a clear objective and goal, and it doesn't allow much room for humor. Right. I mean, there's there's humor that happens around the things, mm-hmm. but it can't be a punchline at the end of an effect or something. Yeah, right? yeah. Especially if if I've gotten you to the place where you have decided to be vulnerable, and I mean, a lot of the times in 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 things that I'm doing, I mean, I'm 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 shooting for a very emotional response 
and and get them a lot of the time. And you can't tag a punchline on the end of that because then I have abused that relationship that you've given to me. You know, yeah. it's a disservice. I've, it's a disservice. I I feel like I would have taken advantage of that person. And if I did that with one person, say say there's one thing that's going to have a a gag ending to it, and I do that early on in the show. Well, what's the next person that I want to do something? What what are they going to think? Mm-hmm. They're they're not going to be they're going to be more guarded. They're not yeah. going to be as open to to having a powerful experience because clearly I'm I'm not being careful with their mm-hmm. feelings and and their experiences. You know, they're probably not going to be willing to share. Uh, or to or to feel what I want them to feel. Yeah. How do you how do you make that connection with somebody? I mean, I I understand getting them interested and curious, but what what are the steps that you take to encourage someone to be vulnerable and with you? Um, it's mostly by being vulnerable myself. You know, just by honestly going to that place first. That's if if you want someone to go somewhere, go there first is what they say. And uh, and I mean when when I'm talking to someone about emotional things, I I get emotional. I mean I'm I'm not faking feelings or or lying about stories that happen to myself. If you want to talk about something meaningful, by all means, talk about something that really happened to you that that you can relate to someone else, you know, um, by, by being kind, by them knowing that I'm there to be kind to them and that I'm not going to take advantage of them or make fun of them or, uh, or abuse the relationship that, that they're going to engage with me in so briefly. And, and, and especially in reading the tarot cards, I mean, I could, I could read cards and, and come up with funny readings and and do goofy things, but th- that would probably just be the most awkward thing I can imagine. After I've I've done readings for big groups of people, and then the next day there was like a brunch, and as I was just kind of with my little plate of food, looking around the room, I was like, I'm I don't really know these people, but I know that that woman wants another baby and her husband doesn't want one and she's trying to work through that you know i know these most personal intimate secrets and things they don't even know the answers to about themselves and i know what they're struggling with so we've got this really bizarre intimacy because we've shared this this one moment around sometimes a magic trick and sometimes a reading um Right, it's this weird intimacy because I just know the deepest, darkest secret, but they're never going to see me again, right? Which probably makes it even easier to 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 share that thing with me. But yeah, you you get them to that point by going there yourself and being kind and making sure that they know that that's that's all you intend to be is kind to them, and that's the ultimate goal, I think. I. It's not a good definition for magic, but but I, I think magic is a gift. You know, even if somebody's paying me to perform somewhere, I think I have to think of it as me giving something of myself to them. You know, it's in an ideal world, 
it would be something that I just shared with people for free. But I do have to pay rent and stuff, so so I am available for parties. And <laughs> John M. Wilson. Yes. <laughs> 19 at gmail.com. Yeah. Call me. <laughs> but I say, in all seriousness, in an, in an ideal world, it would just be walking around and giving people these, these gifts, sharing things and, and having strange experiences with people. But why? <laughs> why? Why is that? Why does that? Draw, why is that seductive to you? Why does? Why are you drawn to that? In a perfect world, why would you go around and share these things with people? What is it about yourself? Because I love magic. Is is the first thing I love experiencing it. I love it when things like that happen to me, and I love helping that that process happened for other people. I mean, I, I really, it, it is my favorite thing. I, I love it more than words can say, really. It's, it, it has been the, the thing that, that I have done with all of my free time for as long as I can remember now uh, is, is think about how things like this can happen, you know. It's, it's because I've basically been doing it for free since I started doing it, you know. Um, I've, I've, of course, taken paid work and done shows and that kind of stuff, but but it's the, no, no one's paying me when I sit at my, at my table at home and shuffle cards, right? No one, no one has to come in and say, oh, well, now it's time to, to watch another video of this or to go, uh, work out this routine or or to you know any of it it's just it's what i love doing so i mean if it became impossible to get booked doing magic that wouldn't stop me from from doing magic so i'm i'm willing to do it for free so if i didn't have to pay bills and that kind of stuff i would absolutely still do it for free because i i did it for free for for years before i started you know getting paid gigs and that kind of stuff mm mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, it's not just a thing I do. It's, it is fundamentally who I am. Um, and what I'm thinking about all day long, you know, it's fun. It's powerful. It's beautiful. It's, um, James Fraser in the golden bow says that magic is the mother of truth and beauty. And I think he's right. <laughs> so there, <laughs> <laughs> That's that's why. Well, how did you get into magic then? When when were you bitten by the bug? <laughs> when were you bitten by the bug? It says on your Wikipedia page <laughs> that uh, you've been doing magic since the 1990s. I got a magic kit as a child, and I have been hooked ever since. Now, that's, whoa, that's everyone's uh, from like every uh, article on a magician in every magic magazine it's basically that right that's what they all say that was not the case for me when uh when i was a kid i learned i didn't know it was the circus card trick but i learned the key card location that was mm-hmm. my first card trick uh, that a friend of mine fooled me with it and then i pestered him until he taught me how to do that trick 
And it was like, well, that's stupid. <laughs> and, and As is the reaction that I, everybody has. Exactly. I learned that trick just so when someone else did it, I could be like, I know how that works. <laughs> uh, and I think there, I think I got uh, at a small like hobby shop. I think I got a a deck of like trick cards. So it was like you can do magic. So it was uh, one hundred and forty three point nine tricks in in this deck of cards. And then I opened it up, and they were just like mispipped cards, and like a bunch of weird gaffes that that you you would probably nowadays. If I was like, now I'm selling these cards, you'd you'd be like, oh, let me get some <laughs> because they're collectors' items or something. But uh, I just remember opening up that and looking through it, and and being like, this is junk. I think I just threw them away immediately. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and I I might have had a a magic set as a as a baby or something. But I I must have cuz we had the uh the little color changing silks where the two silks are tied together and then mm-hmm. you pull it through the thing. I remember that being in the house somewhere, but I didn't really care until uh I saw a David Blaine special. It's the one where he does the ambitious card. What is that, Magic Man or something? Is this like street that. magic? It might be street magic. It's probably street magic. I don't even know what. I don't one. know. I, I have no idea. It was it was so long ago, <laughs> ages <laughs> ages ago. Um, but I saw that, and especially that, like I figured the the levitation was just TV magic. <laughs> <laughs> um, but. And there were other things that were kind of cool, but especially that routine, for some reason, I was like, what? He does it for a guy named Fruit Loops. <laughs> right? And it's Fruit, F-R-O-O-T, I think. I still remember that that's what the guy's, it's like some uh, some uh, punk rock kid on the street that he does it for. And I just remember, I watched that thing in slow motion. I was like, how does that work? I don't know what's going on there. So I went, I read books. So I was like, maybe there's books about this. Mm-hmm. And I went to Barnes and Noble and Borders and uh, and got the magic books that we talked about before and, and started trying to learn. But it was, it was really difficult. Like it, I I knew that the moves that I was seeing in those books weren't, the moves that I was seeing there, mm-hmm. you know, I knew there was a, I knew there was a, a big difference, but I still practiced a, a few of the things from Royal road, especially, and the Bill Tar book. I had that. Um, and that has all kinds of crazy stuff in it. It's like, here's the pass. And here is what, a cigarette production device looks like when it's loaded in your sleeve, right? It produces lit cigarettes. You're like, how do I, how do I get one of those things? Do I have to make it? Cause it doesn't have instructions in there. Or I remember when I, uh, I think later on I had Bobo and like cuffing coins and like all these things that I'm like, that, that's not how magic works. This is just, this is what they sell to regular people. Yeah. I need I need the magician's books. I need the secrets. Look, he's got a shelled coin in in the Bobo book. I was like, where would you even get such a thing? 
Do I need to mill a coin? <laughs> right? I, I, need, I, I know I need heavy machinery, but it's not like you could just buy one of those somewhere. <laughs> but it turns out you can. They're on Amazon. Even you can you can get anything you want on eBay now. They've yeah. got all of Magic for sale. It's pretty great. But yeah, it was basically that progression, and then found the Magic Shop. Did you have a mentor of any kind? No, not not really. Other than I mean, the guys at the Magic Shop, I would pester them because <laughs> I didn't know what I knew. I was in. I was. I'm really into this thing, but I'm not very good at it, or I don't know very much. And at that time, the people I was doing tricks for, they had already seen all five of my tricks. <laughs> and it was like, what do you got that's new? <laughs> well, this is the new Svengali deck, right? Or whatever, mm -hmm. whatever the thing might have been. Um, so I'm sure I drove those guys nuts. But then started learning from books and DVDs and, uh, and did most of that on my own for a while. And then I got, in, I got invited probably by accident to the super session <laughs> in Dallas. Um, the super session is a, is a close up convention in Dallas. Basically where everyone performs a trick. I'd never met any magicians outside of the, the magic shop. So I was just like, um, okay, whatever. <laughs> I guess I'll go to this thing. Um, so Bob White hosted the super session. I didn't know who Bob was. I'd met him. I shook his hand at the magic shop and he invited me to the thing. But Bob White, Roger Klaus was there, uh, Gary Plants, Ricky Smith, Jared Koff. Uh, Lance? Lance wasn't at the first one that I went to. Oh, I thought you mentioned Lance earlier. Uh, I think that was, we were talking about something that happened at a different one. Oh, okay. Lance bad. is great. Hi, Lance. Hi, Lance. We love you. We love you, Lance. We're recharmed. I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway. At least I don't think. At least I don't think Lance was at the first one that I went to. Good. Um, but I knew almost. I mean, I thought I knew a lot. As everyone thinks they, as everyone thinks they know a lot when they get into something. At first, you're like, well, now I know all of that. <laughs> Let's keep doing it. Um, and so the first thing, I say everybody performs a trick at the super session. The first thing I saw was Bob White doing slow motion aces. And I almost shat myself. <laughs> I had never seen anything like that. And I, I, I was trying to like reverse engineer, but I didn't. I'd never seen anybody palm cards before, and if I had, it wouldn't have helped because it was Bob White. <laughs> At the height of, uh, height of his powers? <laughs> At the height of his powers. And I just knew I was going to look like a fool in front of this group. And then just person after person. Most of them I didn't know back then. I didn't, I didn't know who Gary Plants was. I just mm -hmm. knew that he was a guy at this thing. And then he did his, he did the trick. I still remember that trick too. Um, it fooled me for like two years <laughs> until I saw him do it again. And then I knew more. It was oh no, it was longer than two years. It was like four or five years later. He he brought it back and did that trick again. I was like, I know exactly what this is. But at the time, and for years after that time, I was like, 
what? I had no idea. Uh, yeah, Roger Klaus was the only person that I recognized because uh, his face was on one of the Magic Magazine covers that I, I had bought a Magic Magazine, and he was on the cover. And that I was like, this guy must be good. He's They write magazines about this man. <laughs> <laughs> and Roger was great. And Ricky, that's when I met Ricky. He did the, the, the trick that he does where he... Your card is lost. Doesn't that make you sad? <laughs> it's so good. It's very good. Uh, and then I went, and if I had to guess, I'd say no one in the room was impressed with my performance there. <laughs> that would be my guess. It's being generous. <laughs> it's, it's, it's being generous. They were probably... I mean, Bob was probably Who asleep. the fuck invited this kid? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What is his problem? <laughs> it was... Uh, he just come in off the street? It, it was not pretty. So I, I learned a lot, but unfortunately it was all about how bad I was. Yeah. Uh, and I was, I think I was probably too ashamed even when people were hanging out after. I was like, man, I probably don't belong in these conversations because I'm not very good at things. But I thought I was really good until this morning. <laughs> you know, like it was that was another one of those like those classic gotcha moments where it's like, hey, he, he, there's your little broken heart on the floor. Oh. Um and for a while, for a few years, the that super session was the only thing that I would go to. It was the only magic convention I had been to. And it's always really talented people. Like you said, Lance Pierce goes goes there. Uh, every once in a while, Bill Malone shows up there. I mean, it's really, really good, solid performers show up at this thing. And so for a few years, and that's the only thing I'd go to, I would add on one new trick just specifically to try and, and impress this crowd. Yeah. Uh, which is probably not the best way to learn magic. <laughs> One trick a year for several years with an intended audience of just some of the best close-up magicians in the world that you're probably not going to fool anyways. But I was, I was dedicated to not looking like an idiot. In That's that not room. the worst way to learn magic. That's mostly how I learned magic is because I didn't have any magicians around. And so I was like... Oh, whenever I meet a magician, I have to be impressive because otherwise they won't take me seriously and I care. Yeah, I mean, after that first super session I went to, I just assumed that everyone knew everything and I was the only one who didn't know anything. So I just shut my trap and tried to learn one thing. I know the thing I did the second year, I was like, this is cool. Nobody's going to know how this one works. There were three people that did the same effect that I did. <laughs> it was real hot that year. Oh, wow. And I went third out of that group of three. <laughs> <laughs> I did not get to go first with with the most common hoi polloi effect <laughs> available in the magic market that year. But it, it did change the way that I thought about effects and and what I thought was good because... I was definitely shooting for, for a tough, a tough crowd to impress. I think. Mm -hmm. um, 
yeah, I mean, I didn't, it was, I'd probably been going to the super session for six or seven years before I went to like a regular magic convention. And even then that was like IBM SAM joint convention or something, some, some huge thing that is never in Texas <laughs> that just happened to be there. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I weird expectations for magic conventions for years after that because I did not know how they are normally structured or anything. <laughs> you were only exposed to something really amazing. Um, really, really amazing, and then really huge version of the regular convention, and then later on you see kind of the average magic convention, and you're like, why, why, why did they even bother having this? <laughs> 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 This is just the dealer's room and nothing else. Um, yeah, but I mean, I, that's all of the magicians that that I met for years and years. That was the only place I, I knew them from was from from the the guys who came to the super session. And uh, I mean, there were guys who come from from pretty far away just to go to this one little thing in Dallas, Texas. <laughs> When did you meet Jared? Uh, I met Jared in... I, I met him the first time at the Magic Shop at Magic Land in Dallas. And he was... I don't know. I was going to say he was a zygote. He was like nine <laughs> years old or something. It's, he must have been older than that. But but he looked really, really young. Mm -hmm. Especially because he came in with Bob White. And everyone looks young next to, next to Bob White. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> he's not gonna listen to this <laughs> he's, no he's he fell asleep minutes ago <laughs> minutes um <laughs> yeah so jared was very young and i remember they came into the shop and and i think bob was asleep he, he was not asleep <laughs> no no but he uh i think it, it must have been mark who who owned magic land i think he he was like, Jared, show Mark what a half move is. And then they had a discussion about half moves. And I didn't understand what the hell they were talking about. Yeah. But uh, I was watching it. And I was like, why is this old guy asking this little guy to, <laughs> to, <laughs> right, to show things? Because that's that's what he would do. He, Bob would, like, Jared, show him what my palm looks like. Or, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and then I met him at the super session. And we didn't really talk for the first few years that I was there. I was not really talking to most of the people there because I, I was so ashamed. I was, I was like, oh, I thought I kind of belonged in this room and I probably don't belong in this room. So I've, they're, they're all nice guys and would have, of course, just welcomed me at all the tables, but I've in my shame was just mm -hmm. kind of off by myself. Um, but I think like the fifth year, fourth or fifth year that, that I went there, I, I did a routine that was a, a 40 gambling routine and he came up to me after it and offered to, to swap on effect. Right. I was like, this is pretty dope. <laughs> that that must've been, <laughs> that, that must've been a, that must've been a good one that I did this time. Cause people now care about it. Uh, and so we traded routines uh, 
for a routine that turned into something that I, I still do occasionally. Um, it's, a, it's a poker deal. It's not a, it's not a huge thing, but it's a fun, fun little routine. And then at some point later, I'm sure we swapped another routine. And then, I mean, it just got more and more the two of us talking about magic over, yeah. over the years. I mean, that would have been like 15 years ago, that first time that we swapped routines and, and really talked about magic together for the first time. And yeah, kind of a, a slow and steady progression toward near constant communication. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> a, that I'm sure drives everyone around us insane. Why I ask because, you know, I'm I'm curious about how much collaboration is happening amongst you guys because I, it, it's always fascinating to me how, you know, you, you see really phenomenal magicians who have honed in on what it is that they do. And some of them just figured it out over a really long time and some of them figured it out over a much shorter time, but by working with people who were really, really good in other ways. Right. So I'm you know, I'm curious about the collaboration between you two and if there is And the the thing that made it build up the most um was I I moved and then I saw Jared at a thing I'm at before that we might have seen each other just a, a few times a year and then I moved and we found out that he lived walking distance from my apartment and that was like sweet yeah we can hang out and talk about card stuff and as it turned out about everything about art and politics and science and religion and everything I mean our discussions are are not limited to like playing cards or magic effects or you know, um, so we just essentially ended up meeting up all the time, you know, uh, the, the collaboration is pretty much, I think anytime either of us has an idea that's good, I don't, when I have a, an idea for a new effect, it's like, oh, I'm going to totally fool Jared with this, right? I'm going to, I'm going to hang on to this and I'm, oh, I'm going to get him with this. He's going to love this shit. I can't wait to show it to him. And the next minute, <laughs> like, like a minute later, it's like maybe I should just call him and share it. Share it. We should talk about it because I don't think I can hang on. I don't think I can hold on to this thing. It's so powerful in my head. And then it's usually about five minutes after I've had the idea that I break down, and it's like, yep, yeah, we got we got to talk about it. <laughs> so, what does the talk look like? Oh. Uh, <laughs> it, it just it just depends on what on what the idea is I mean sometimes it's just wouldn't it be great if you just gave this to someone this thing whatever this thing is sometimes it's it's a move or or something you know it, it could be almost anything uh, a touch on the classic pass which and those kinds of 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 things are rarer now, but I'm, there have definitely been times when it was just like, look what happens when I curl my finger this way, and then a video that's ten minutes long of just pass after pass. <laughs> it's like, doesn't that just melt? <laughs> right? you know? But it could be any. It could be something that one of us read in a book, and then you take a picture of it and send it to the other one. It could be. I mean, it could really be anything. Anything that is capable of inspiring someone. 
is capable of inspiring us and then starting a conversation about it. He, he was in China uh, earlier this year, and someone showed him uh, a retention pass of a coin that was apparently really good, supposed to be really good, but he, he was just saying that it kind of left him cold. And then we had, uh, it's probably 30 text messages long, this discussion about well, what is a coin? You know, it's a slice of mountain. It's, a, it's an eagle chasing a severed head around the block. It's, it's a picture of a slave owner's head that we're all slaves to. Right? And thinking about coins that way, we've just kind of made all money vanish. <laughs> right? yeah. So it's like, I don't know that that's a presentation for a thing. I don't know that that's anything other than just an interesting way of looking at what money is. Which, of course, means there, of course, there are probably 20 different presentations for magical effects in there. But, mm-hmm. um, but it's one of us looks at a thing and sees a thing that we haven't seen before or a way of seeing things that we haven't taken a look at before. And then, <laughs> and then sometimes the other person is like, that is shit. <laughs> That's, your idea is worthless. <laughs> <laughs> that that's not quite how the clever it's not usually like that but i mean it's just he's he's my best friend so i'm any idea that any idea that i have i probably can't hold on to it very long without without being like isn't this amazing this is i i can't i can't hold this to myself you need to know this thing and then depending on what the thing is it's uh it's a thing that we talk about for a week or for a day for a year or for 10 years i mean there yeah there there are things that just pop back up because it's like i was thinking about this the other day that we haven't used for a while yeah and usually when we fall into a new obsession then we're just doing that thing constantly and driving our uh, significant others probably crazy with <laughs> I'm sure everyone's heard enough about the tarot in, in our houses to last them for a while. But it's not going to stop. We're going to keep talking about the tarot. How, what, what's, the, what's the protocol between you two as far as sharing and using each other's material and performance? I mean, is there a line there? or I mean, I don't know. I'm just curious about how you keep that relationship strong. I think we always ask each other and we always just say, of course, you know, I'm what's, what's mine is his and and whatever. Like, I don't, I don't really draw a line there. Most, most of the things that I have, especially the stuff that that's come out in the last, that that's come about at least in the last seven to 10 years, you know, is so much a collaboration that it's, on some stuff, it's tough to remember whose idea was what part, you know. Um, so, I mean, I just don't really see much of a line. There, there are things that that he does that he's become known for doing that I just don't do. Not, not because I think he would feel bad about me doing it, but because I don't want other people saying, "Oh, well, that's that's not his." That's, <laughs> That belongs to this other person. Yeah. You know, um, but... Um, 
you're talking about dressing up as Vernon and <laughs> yes, exactly. That's the line. The line is I'm not allowed to put on makeup and do and do Vernon. <laughs> I can't do it. I can't do it. <laughs> um, but other than that, pretty much everything else is fair game. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there, there, there are things that are in my show that he's, I think, av- avoided doing, even though we both think they're dope, mm-hmm. and things that he does in his show that it's like, man, I, I really wish we were both doing that thing, but you know, I'm happy for, I'm happy for the things to be the, the place they are, but I, I think we're pretty open, pretty much all of the time to sharing whatever's there you know mm-hmm. do you ever get burned out i get burned out of particular ideas yeah what do you mean uh i'm I'll, I'll just get sick of 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 thinking about things in a in a particular way or thinking or doing a particular especially with magical effects you know there's stuff that i did years and years ago that i stopped doing i i used to love the chicago opener i did that it was the first trick I did for someone that they believed. Screamed and ran away. And then as I got better um, in handling cards, I started to really not like the method that I had for it. You know, like these are methodological weaknesses and I'll find other ways to make people scream. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I just kind of left it. I, I came back to it a couple of times just trying to fix the problems, but I wasn't really doing the trick, you know. But recently, I, I I came up with a better frame for the effect, and and now it's new again, you know. But for years and years, there was a good chance I wasn't going to do that trick for anyone, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, there there are ideas that either play themselves out, or I don't find the right solution, so they just get parked until inspiration hits, or until I forget that the idea exists, <laughs> you know. And then one day you you browse through your old notebook and you're like, oh, yeah, that thing. How did that work? Because, <laughs> because the notes that I take on effects are not good. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're, they're very difficult to to decipher my, my little handwritten, this is how tricks work, <laughs> books. <laughs> I, I, the thing that I was showing you earlier today, that triumph, uh, happened like that. I wrote it down and then forgot about it and then re-stumbled upon it. I was like, I don't know how that worked. And I had to recreate it. Right. And sometimes that's, that's fun. You know, yeah. you have to solve the problem that you forgot how to solve the problem. Yeah. Like that's a solution that you had earlier with less knowledge. Right. And now, now cannot decipher with right. more knowledge. And now you probably can't be sure that the solution you've stumbled upon now is the right one. Maybe the other one's just lost to history. See, just that by itself is magic. Without the trick, just what happened to the trick, that, that's real magic right there. Yeah. I was, uh, I, when I was falling asleep last night, I had an idea to end that uh, circus car trick I was telling you about. Mm-hmm. And then when I woke up this morning and read the note, I was like, oh, that's because I've been talking about magic with John and Jared. <laughs> yeah. 
and it's just to rip the card up at the end and give it to him. And it's right. the same thing as the egg bag, the ending of the egg bag. And <laughs> right. I was like, fuck. It's the same ending. What a wonderful I idea I had. <laughs> I know. I was, like, <laughs> I was like, damn it, this isn't even mine. It's so good, though, but I can't do it. I call this trick Elliot's Aces. <laughs> Will you tell that story, please? Oh, I can't, though. <laughs> I can't because it involves a person's name. Well, don't say either of the people's name. Just tell the story. So, Bill had a card trick one time. And this other guy, Bob, put out a DVD that teaches Bill's card trick. And he said, my friend Bill... <laughs> <laughs> this is the worst way to tell the story. It's great. My friend Bill showed me this trick. I call it Bob's Aces. <laughs> so without the uh, the obvious pseudonyms in there, that is a way that we will talk about someone who's maybe taken someone's idea without credit. Yeah. Even if you're kind of crediting them, it's like... <laughs> move for move Elliot showed me this and I call it John's aces <laughs> and that's and that's the trick but now see I've I've saved nothing because the people who know what I'm talking about probably know it and the ones that don't still don't and probably wouldn't have yeah it doesn't matter yeah so now the people who knew it who already know it and we have not offended anybody. <laughs> Except for those who hate convoluted conversations. <laughs> We've built a maze I don't, of silliness. I don't, think, uh, I don't think people who listen to podcasts are bothered by convoluted conversations. This is possible. Yeah. Come on, John. You got you to gotta know your audience. <laughs> <laughs> Can you talk about that or is that too early? Talk about knowing your audience? No. What? Yeah. Let's talk about that. Knowing Wait, your what did you mean? <laughs> I meant the podcast. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Okay. That's... We won't talk about that. What do you mean? Then. I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, well, can you plug that episode of the podcast that Jared was on that sounds so cool? Uh, yes and no. The The podcast isn't uh, available yet, but there's a, uh, there's a, a teaser for for his episode um, podcast is called strange. Uh, and I think the teaser is called, I have a key that doesn't open any doors <laughs> because he is a badass wizard and that, and that's a good teaser name. Um, but so the teaser audience. is only a, a few seconds long of, of him talking about his various amulets and things that he has hanging around his neck. Uh, so that, I don't know exactly when that is going to be uh, available for download and or streaming, but it should be relatively soon. What about knowing your audience? <laughs> <laughs> I, it's not as though I had any prepared remarks for knowing your audience. But you I should, right? I just thought that's what you were trying to say. <laughs> you were talking about knowing your audience. Well, no, I podcast. think that's a, that's a good... Uh, I don't have my notebook in front of me, which I usually do, so I can jot down little ideas. But I thought you were an Eagle Scout. I It's in my bag. I just didn't grab it. I don't need that shit from you, John. So if you had the notebook in front of you, mm -hmm. you would have been... Prepared. Huh? 
Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so anyway, to get back to what I was saying, <laughs> um, how it, so how do you, how do you judge, do you do your same show for, uh, like your formal performances or do you kind of tweak and tailor your presentations based off of the group that hires you? If it's, if it's a, uh, like a stand up show, it's so far at least it's, it's just got the, the the one version of it. I mean, there's there's one overall narrative that's that's kind of stringing it together. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the effects will will change or or will pop in and out, but um, but pretty much regardless of where that would. And I've I've only really done that show a few places, but it's it's stayed pretty close to the same. Um, I haven't had to change it for for any audience, but for like. Uh, uh, well, if they asked for walk around magic or something like that, then it's kind of going to depend on what I'm able to talk them into. That sounds like a better idea to me than doing that, you know. Which would ultimately be, I'll sit at a table, and we can form a line, and and we can do we can do that. Um, I think it's a lot stronger, especially you talk about people willing to to take those steps into that space that we want them to be. And if they come to my table, then now they're in my space and I haven't invaded theirs, you know. Um, but, I mean, <laughs> if somebody wants to give me a bunch of money to <laughs> to go table to table, I'm capable of doing that. It's just I will work constantly at trying to make it look more like the other thing. Mm-hmm. You know? um, yeah, How do you un- communicate that to potential clients? That you have a shtick. <laughs> that I have a shtick. <laughs> Let me tell you a little something about yourself, Mister Mister Mister's client. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to no, demean you in such a way. It, no, it's it's okay. <laughs> Everyone's always talking about my shtick. <laughs> uh, Old Johnny boy, <laughs> he's, he's, he's got a well-known shtick. Oh. <laughs> uh, I don't even know where it is that that people who are not magicians came to the understanding without having seen magicians probably anywhere ever that walk around magic is is a thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's turned into a thing because people kind of th- thought, well, wouldn't it be great if you just went table to table and did and did this and that? So I don't I don't know where that idea came from. It's and there are people who do that and love it and are great at it and more power to you. I hate it. It is not, it's not good. But also with the kind of stuff that I do, it's probably the worst thing that could happen to me if someone wants to hire me is that they said, I want to hire a magician. I heard this guy's a magician. Let's go get him as a magician. (laughs) You know, like... (laughs) They're going to have expectations that are probably a lot different than than what I'm hoping to deliver for them. So I mean, it's much better if somebody's hiring me as me and has some idea of who I am and what I do. And if not, I can I'm I think I'm well equipped to explain to them how it works and and what I do and what I can do. I could do a, a full stand up show. I'd rather do that if they if they're preferring. Um, more traditional magic, mm-hmm. you know. 
Um, but even if they wanted close-up magic, it's so much better if I just set up a table. I've got the space that they enter and we do things and people will love it. You know, you'll build crowds that way. The same thing that you're trying to do while you're going table to table to turn it into an impromptu close-up set, mm-hmm. uh, you can just do by doing impromptu close-up sets as people <laughs> crowd around your table where you have all the things that you need. And if you're a performer that uses props or apparatus or whatever, that way you can have all your stuff in, in one place so you're not carrying around a bunch of stuff. You're not interrupting somebody's meal. Um, I recommend this this method of performing if you care about wearing a suit that fits which you should (laughs) yeah because then you're not bulging out of everywhere right yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) it if you're like if you're doing the cups and balls table to table you're you've got a lot of stuff (laughs) you have a lot of stuff (laughs) i'm i'm guessing that's not the only thing that you're planning on doing and um Four pieces of fruit, three <laughs> metal cups in a bag, a and a stick, stick and and a bunch <laughs> of crocheted balls. The crocheted balls are easy enough to hide in a pocket, but mm-hmm. but all the other stuff, I mean, that's that's tough to carry around. You yeah. know, and if you're just going table to table with with cards, that can work too. But that's just not my preference of of how to work. I say, but mostly. Even if I was just doing card tricks, I would rather have my own space. Then it's not weird for me to have a close-up mat or to have a performing surface, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but by all means, do not roll up a close-up mat, put it inside your jacket pocket, or carry it around from table to table, and then unroll it in someone's space. Um, it, they're, they're wondering why you have a mouse pad with you. It's a weird thing. <laughs> Yep. It, it, yeah, it's no good. And it's almost like you're insulting their table. <laughs> your table's not good enough. Your table's for not what good I'm enough for do. my hands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, I mean, for so many reasons, it's it's. I think it's easy enough to explain that to people, and it's entirely possible that they'll still just fight you on that and say, "Nope, I want you to be a professional interrupter tonight. You go table to table." If they're eating spaghetti, I want you to make them stop. So you know you stop eating that spaghetti and you watch this card that rises up to the top of the pack as I snap <laughs> my fingers. Um, you know, like, I can still do that, but uh, I think they'd, they'd be happier if I didn't, mm-hmm. you know. You have to make sure that they understand that they're going to be happier with the situation if you do it the way that seems best to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As a as the professional entertainer, you, I mean, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, even, even if it's your first gig, yeah. they are not the expert. Yeah, you are the expert exactly. of what you do and and how you want to perform. If you yeah. want to go table to table, then you need to talk them into saying, "This is what I do, and this is where I thrive." Mm-hmm. And if you don't like doing that, like I don't, then you need to say, "This is what I do, and this is where I thrive, and this is how you get your money's worth out of me." Right. This is how everyone's going to have the best time doing this. Yeah. Because it, it wouldn't make sense if you were, you know, going to do a show in a theater and you go, the theater calls you to do a show and you go, okay, I'll do this show, but I need these lights. And they go, no, you don't get any lights. You have to perform <laughs> yeah, in the dark. This, it's like, this is okay. my theater. <laughs> what you're going to do is go from seat to seat in the auditorium. 
<laughs> and do one trick for everyone. <laughs> that's a that's a that's an idea for a show. Yeah. Well, if I'm the last seat that you're gonna get to, I'm not gonna be there when you get there. <laughs> if, if it's just really a close up thing that only the one person can see, right? you go A one, A two. I am gonna get real sick of that and leave, unless they're really good tricks. <laughs> what if it was a like a dual reality thing where <laughs> <laughs> this is this is the problem to solve? Let me call Jared with this idea. We can hash it out. Jared, how do we do this? It's, it's a dual reality, but there's a different reality for all 400 <laughs> seats. There are 400 effects, but there's really just one that I'm doing for each person. <laughs> But everybody thinks it's a different one. And there's 400 of me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think they made a movie about this. Um, what do you want to talk about? <laughs> what do I want to talk about? Yeah. Um, we could talk about a ghost story. Oh, let's do that. Yeah. Um, so our friend Toby, Toby Halbrooks, um, is a badass. <laughs> and uh, he makes movies for a living. And basically, we got to work on uh, on a movie. It's called A Ghost Story. So we did the practical effects. There's three different scenes. I mean, it's just being able to be involved in in that stuff was like, wait, what? Is this? You are you sure you want me to do this thing? Because <laughs> I've never done this thing before. I I basically went out to the set to just hang out. And then he described something they wanted to happen later on in the movie. And I was like, that sounds really cool. Who's building this thing for you? Yeah. And Toby said, I was hoping you would. I was like, yes. <laughs> yes, I will. <laughs> I, have, I didn't say I have never built one of those in my life, but I had never built one of those in my life. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, let's let's go to Walmart and figure out how to how to do this thing, um, which it's, uh, it, I think it did great in the theaters and it's in, it's on uh, iTunes now. It's everyone, everyone should download it. Yeah, it was a, it was a pretty big hit, a critical success. Yeah. What is the story of the, a ghost story? So it's about a ghost. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's, it, it is essentially the story of what a ghost would go through. And everything that would entail and and what eternity means, right? And and watching the world change around you. What was Toby did Toby write this? Did he help write it? What uh, was his Toby produced this one. So David Lowry um directed and wrote this and Toby's one of the producers. Um uh, and they they work together on I think everything. Um because I know you, Toby is friends with you and Jared, and that sounds like a very you and Jared kind of conversation. <laughs> oh, this is, I've, yeah, this, this movie is amazing. It is easily, even if I wasn't able to, to help in making it, it, it would have easily been a movie that I absolutely love. You know, it's, it's definitely an art house movie, and people who watch it will either love it or be like, what? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but usually with with a ghost story, if you watch the trailer for it, if you watch the trailer and you said, that might be interesting, then you're going to love it. 
you're just going to absolutely love it. And if you watch the trailer and you said, what? <laughs> then, <laughs> then, then whatever. You should still buy it and never watch it. No, you buy it, watch it, and maybe, maybe you'll learn to love good things to those people. Um, but I mean, I know that not everybody, not everybody likes movies that aren't Transformers 9 Dark Territory or whatever, <laughs> whatever that one's called. Um, you know, uh, Transformers, you can find the roots of it in Dune. <laughs> can you? <laughs> it's, there's, there's a good chance that you can somewhere in, in Yadorovsky's Dune. Yadorovsky's Dune. Yeah. Yadorovsky's Dune. You didn't, I don't think you told people how long he wanted that to be. The, so like if, why, why is that the birthplace of all modern science fiction? <laughs> it, it was this grand experiment. He'd, he'd done two successful things and they asked him what he wanted to make. And he just said Dune without ever having read the book. <laughs> and, and he decided that he wanted to not just make a movie, but to make a god, right? To make this this thing that will change the minds of young people everywhere, which is like, okay, what does the first scene look like, right? You know, like, how do we get there? Just Just like we do with the magic tricks, you know? It's like, I want this thing to be not not just where I find your card. I want it to be a profit for you. I mean, that that's a tall order, but they're constantly trying to fill that order. And he, it's it's almost like he built a cult around himself. He, he talks people into selling all of their worldly possessions and moving to Paris to work on this movie for, I know it was at least a year, maybe two years that they were in, uh, in development. And he assembled a great team. Mobius, a comic book artist from France, um, drew all the storyboards for it. Uh, Dan O'Bannon and H.R. Giger uh, were were in there making special effects. And it became this, I mean, beyond epic. Like, it, it was going to be like 20 hours long, 30 hours long, potentially, um, to get all of his ideas into the thing. And uh, I think the Hollywood producers were like, mm, that's a little long for American audiences. Can you make it about an hour and a half? You know? Um, and when that movie died, it gave birth through all those ideas that, that he put into developing the movie. Those gave birth to almost every sci-fi movie you've ever seen, you know, lightsabers probably originated in Jodorowsky's Dune. H.R. Uh, Giger and Dan O'Bannon made the Alien franchise, you know, and most of that comes from, I mean, Giger's work already looked like crazy aliens, you know, just his stuff that's in art galleries looked like, whoa, and they're like, we should make a movie out of this. Right? <laughs> <laughs> They'll burst out of people's chests. It'll be amazing. Um, but movie after movie, all of the movies of my childhood were actually this Yadorovsky movie that never got made. Mm -hmm. you know? how, do, how, do you, how do you know that? From Yadorovsky's Dune. If the, you watch that documentary, documentary. Yeah. You watch that and it will, it will show you where everything that you know came from. And that it came from, from this movie that died. 
Yeah. Like that's, that's, that's a pretty powerful magical act. I mean, that's on par with, we talked about earlier, Alan Moore making V for Vendetta. And then out of that act, you get anonymous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like these, these are tiny little, tiny little gestures that, that become culture and that become the way that we think about things. And that, and that's what magic is. Doing something that is so true that it becomes inevitable almost in, in the way that it pervades. Right. Something that, that, that will inevitably affect someone that way. I think you mean, um, that it, it just is a powerful symbolic interaction. There's not a, without, without being all technical, I don't think there's a way to, to get across what's going on. You know, it's the way you see something shifts or you're given something that now has peculiar power because it makes you think about a thing, right? It, it's, now, it's now not what it is. It's what it isn't. It's, it's a different thing because we used words on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's, that's, that's pretty much what magic is supposed to be in all of the, the things that I've, I've read about magic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> about like ritualistic magic and that kind of stuff. That's what they're doing, right? Chanting on amulets and wishing on candles, right? Now the candle's not a candle. Now the candle's a spell. We can do the same thing with coin tricks or pieces of paper, words, or almost anything. Yeah. It's, it, it seems so obvious, but it's so hard to see. Like when you when you were mentioning the language of the birds to me, which is you know the the playfulness of homonyms upon the ears, <laughs> right? Uh, that was mind blowing. It's like all this different stuff that's you know we all know, but when when you as the conduit for that knowledge can package it in a nice little nugget that everybody gets and understands, and then can symbolically appreciate. Right. That's transcendent. Right, exactly. It's and and that's what poetry does, you know. Poetry is just prose, but the words are stronger, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's by manipulating where they appear on the page or some other relationship that they might hold like rhyming or some other pattern. Now now they're this other thing, right? They've they've changed into this other thing. And it's and a monumental amount of information has been condensed. Exactly, literally. right? You're packing it with, with what it isn't, right? Mm-hmm. You're putting things in there that, that aren't there if we look at, at, at an object as, a, as the mundane, everyday existence of a thing. Mm-hmm. You, know? you, can, you can decide uh, to, to find meaning just by looking for meaning in things, right? That... that that's the simplest process in the world, right? You just, instead of just looking at the thing as that's a thing, you say, well, now there's a message there. And people do that with tea leaves. Or they do it with the signs of the zodiac. They do it with uh, the lines on your palm or randomly shuffled playing cards or tarot cards. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, Yoav Bendov and his book on the Marseille Tarot said uh, basically that you enter this meaning-filled space 
And that's like step one is we, we agree to enter this space together where everything means something. And I think once we're at that step, then all we have to do is, is look around, you know, the most boring object that you can think of, there's probably, and I say probably, there's definitely some meaningful way to look at it. It's possible that we might have trouble seeing it at first glance, but when you get used to thinking about things that way and seeing things in that way, then then things aren't things anymore. Things are stories, right? Everything around you is a story just waiting for you to, to find it and tell it. You know, it's... It's it's a it's a strange way to live, man. <laughs> it's, it's amazing, though. It's uh, I mean, everything is just filled with opportunity for for those interactions for for me to have on my own and for me to point out to other people. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it it's great. How much has it changed? How much does looking? Jesus, how much <laughs> has? looking at the world this way impacted your life for the better outside of performing it for other people because there's obviously an inherent joy that comes between sharing a a wonderful moment with someone in a few in a few ways in every way really uh, it it's made most things just much better i don't i don't get bored very often you know it's if i'm bored i usually know now oh that's your fault and stop being boring, <laughs> right? It's <laughs> yeah. not, I'm not bored. I'm just being boring and I need to stop doing that. And that's easy enough to do when everything is, everything is potentially telling you something, right? Um, it makes things that used to occupy time that were really just wasting time much harder to do. Like it is really hard for me to watch something that, I always knew wasn't interesting or hard to read a book that is really boring and isn't isn't interacting with me on that kind of level, you know. So it's made it's made it harder to find books that I want to actually read, but it's also helped me find ones that I didn't know existed. It's like finding another library underneath the skin of the libraries that you've read before, you know. Um and it and it's also put me in this position i i used to never reread books other than like to find a reference or what was that move in that one book and then you go research just that and then that's that but i wouldn't go start on page one and read through the book again because i already did that like i know everything in that book which of course i don't but but that's that's the kind of mindset but there are some books now that i can just read that I'd read right now, if you handed it to me, I would start at the introduction and I would read every word and I'd love it, you know, because they're just the ones that, that affect me that strongly. Um, but yeah, it's lighthearted entertainment is now just like, why, why am I wasting, why am I wasting time? Mm -hmm. Right. I need to, if I can have more fun, just looking at the way a deck of playing cards was shuffled <laughs> and I can, yeah. then this thing is probably not worthy of my time. Mm-hmm. Mm. When you were reviewing magic for magic magazine, what was one thing that was a turn now? No, that's a complete <laughs> shift in the conversation. But well, I'm happy to take it. <laughs> well, I, so 
I ask because you brought up reading books and finding things that really uh, moved you and were inspiring to you. What are the things that you found in a lot of books that people focused on that we ought not focus on as magicians? Oh, so, I mean, most magic books are just about methods. They're just about solving technical problems and how do I get a card from from this side of the table to that side? How do I make it look like it came out of my pocket? How how does this happen? But most of most magic books and most effects that are published as standalone tricks don't have a presentation. And just announcing what the props are and then declaring the steps that you're taking to get to the denouement is not is not a presentation. You have not you have not performed magic. You have you've gone through a series of actions and told me what those actions are. And maybe the outcome is surprising, but it's essentially a puzzle that just tells me about the way the, the, the pieces of the puzzle turn, you know. And I never understood, I still don't understand why that just doesn't occur to anyone. I mean, it uh, to anyone, to most people who are creating magic or writing books about it is, I, even if I love the method for something, the hardest part for me is is then to to say, okay, what do I what do I say when I do this? And if I just am trying to find something to say to to fill the time, so I've said something, then maybe it's still not a good trick. You know, me liking the method isn't isn't enough for it to be something that I should be sharing with someone. You know, that's that's <laughs> that's mighty presumptuous of me to say, well, I like this thing because I like technical bullshit, <laughs> you know, but, <laughs> you know, or whatever, whatever it is, you know, oh, I really like the way that this particular control happens, or I really like the way that, um, that this problem is solved. Well, the people watching it just don't care. They shouldn't care. It's worse than the fact that they don't care. They shouldn't be caring about that. They should be engaged in, in other ways. If you're a comedy magician, they should care about you making them laugh. If if you're doing the kinds of things that I'm doing, you should be trying to impact them in some other way, you know? But, I mean, almost all of the focus is is just on how to solve technical problems. It it would it would be like if you bought a book on on the paintings of Van Gogh. And it didn't have any of his paintings. It just had, this is how he held the brush and then made this particular line. And then and then this. And then when they do show a painting, then there's just a bunch of lines on it showing all of where those brush strokes were. And it's like, you've missed the whole thing, right? Like, that's not, that is a complete, that, that's not what art lectures are like in any other field other mm-hmm. than in magic. In magic, it's, now it's a how-to video of, First do this, then do that, then do this, then do that. If you go watch an artist talk from a photographer, they'll tell you what it is that inspired them, and then they'll show you examples of their work. But they don't say, and then I use this lens, and then I do this. They, they can talk about technical things. Yeah. but And and they're happy to if someone asks them, hey, was this this thing? I'm sure they would answer that question. Yeah. But the talk is about... 
inspiration and finding your own art. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think far too much of the time, our, our idea of inspiration is, I call it John's aces, right? (laughs) (laughs) Right? Is, is some variant of that is, uh, I really like your trick. I'm going to put it in my show or I, I really like this trick that I read in a book that someone used to do a hundred years ago. I think I'm going to do it. You know, it kills, it gets a good laugh, (laughs) you know? Um, and I mean, it didn't seem strange to me at first because that's that, that just, that is the way that the magic community seems to have always operated. I guess is, is that it, it works that way that we're in the, we're in the, the market of selling secrets and people are buying things just to, to know how a secret works. You know? Yeah. But all magic tricks, almost all magic tricks are fundamentally disappointing, right? Once you know how they work, just like, just like the key card effect, just like the circus card trick, mm-hmm. you learn how that goes, how that works. And you're like, I was an idiot. Why why did I why did I fall for that? Or maybe you interact with that in some meaningful way and you say I can I can do I can use this for something. Mm-hmm. But we tend to just collect the secrets and be in the business of selling those secrets to people who want to collect them. I think so much of it I or at least it was in my experience when I was collecting secrets which I don't do very much anymore. Um, but when I was collecting secrets, I was doing that because I was trying to find the real work, the real secret. What is the right. real secret to really strong magic? Right. And we're sitting here telling it to you is that it's not the method. Right. Your method it's, should be deceptive. It's it's a hard it's a hard lesson to learn, but but that's ultimately where it goes. I mean, a, a good way to learn it is to is to learn some really complicated stuff and then have somebody who is really with it show the same crowd right in front of you something that works based upon the principle of the circus card trick or, or something that, that is inherently simple yeah. and, and knows how to, how to squeeze the magic out of it, you know? Um, and it's only really when you see that, that the simplicity itself is beautiful and that that is... Right. I can't be I can't be distracted by making sure the method works because if I'm concentrating on that, then I don't have time to actually do the magic. Mm-hmm. Right. Because the magic happens in the interaction between me and the person that's there with me. So as I I I try and narrow squeeze all the method out of it if I can, or get the most out of a little bit of method. You know, if you can get one one move and one miracle then you're doing okay. But if you can get no moves and a miracle, well then don't do no moves and get miracles, you know? There apparently it's raining miracles around here. <laughs> you, know, you just need to you just need to catch one. <laughs> what is it like having a partner who is interested in magic and conjuring? Oh, it's great. And Brooke, my girlfriend, Brooke, is, uh, she's amazing. She's a, a wonderful, brilliant, talented artist. She's a photographer and a painter, an illustrator, a bookmaker. 
and she only does a few magic effects so far, but probably most of them will fool you, whoever you are out there <laughs> listening. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's she she she's interested in and likes it and it's i mean it's really amazing it's it's i i always still apologize whenever it's like sorry we were talking about the bottom deal for an hour (laughs) 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 and she's always like no i i like i i like hearing this stuff you know um she she's into it and she puts up with me making her watch things that maybe Maybe even though she said she wanted to watch it, she's like, okay. (laughs) You know, like probably wondering afterward why I wanted to watch the thing in the first place. But but she seems to love it. She just doesn't have, hasn't had enough time so far to practice all the things. But I like teaching her things. I like learning things about art and photography from her. Uh, Yeah, I mean... She'd be happy to go to a magic lecture, and I'd be happy to go to a to an artist talk mm-hmm. in her field. So it's it's great because we get to collaborate and do fun things. We've done some video projects, and uh, she helped design and make uh, my books. Right, the the illustrations on the cover are my hands that she drew, uh, and the first printing that we did, we we cut and bound by hand. And that was basically the three of us, me and Jared and her, doing all that was a lot of work. <laughs> it was to say that my heart and soul and some of our blood went went into some of those books is is not an exaggeration. Uh, it was a lot of work putting that together, but they turned out really great. But it's too much work to keep doing it that way, so we started printing them in a more traditional fashion. Um, but yeah, I mean, she's not just supportive, she's actually interested and engaged in every aspect of what we do. Uh, she's amazing. I love her. Oh. Oh. <laughs> so sweet. Do you think do you think she would be well, this is a this is kind of a this the question answers itself, which is do you think she would be as interested in it if you weren't the, if you weren't doing the kind of magic which you're doing, which would then presuppose that you weren't the person that you are, which, you know, so it just kind of negates itself. So, so if I was a hack performer... Yeah. Would she like magic? I mean, probably not as much. Yeah. But she probably also wouldn't like me. Yeah. Which is yeah, what I was saying exactly. about negating yeah. itself. But I think there's a lesson there, listeners. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you always magic wanted, is not good. You always wanted to use magic to meet ladies. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure to tell them that when you're doing it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. No. I, yeah. We got to something, which is that when you do hack stuff, it's not good. People don't like it. At least you can't have my girlfriend. <laughs> I'm sure the people that that are out there who you know do and love hack magic, uh, I'm sure you'll find love too. Yeah, <laughs> I don't mean to put anybody down. Yeah. Just don't do hack stuff. 
I'm defending hack magicians right now <laughs> and hoping that they have love in their lives. And I do mean that, but it's a weird thing to do. Yeah. I, I also hope that you have love in your lives, but you know, I also hope that you grow as a magician <laughs> or, or stop doing magic. <laughs> Let's just be honest. You know, I mean, just, just think about it. <laughs> Move into the field of DVD piracy, and then and where still get to steal from people, <laughs> but it just won't be us. No. Um. Yeah, it's just better for the art. That's what we're trying to do here. We're just trying to make things better for everybody. And when you go on stage and you say no, the clean hand, you're making it worse. Yeah, that um, wasn't. Unless you're on stage in front of magicians, and it's intentionally ironic to make a point. Yeah, even then, if you do, if you do it on stage in front of a bunch of magicians, I'm gonna assume that you do that in front of everyone. <laughs> I'm gonna feel bad on behalf of everyone. <laughs> you know, mm. I don't know. So you know, just keep that in mind next time you're going to do a show. Yeah, just don't be mean to people. You don't need to be mean to people. Yeah. Also, you know. Except Nazis. Except you can be a little bit. You mean can be to Nazis. Mean to them. That's that's fine. Like, I you know I, I feel pretty comfortable giving people permission to do that. <laughs> yeah, that's you can be a little bit mean to Nazis. Yeah, and that's that's the moral of of the story. <laughs> Is this the weirdest one of these podcasts that you've done so far? I think so. Okay. All right. I think it's the weirdest. It's. It's the weirdest. Now I'm going to start interviewing you about how, how the podcast is weird. Like what weird how? Well, this is the first podcast uh, where someone's interviewed me about how weird it is. It's also uh, the first podcast where we've talked about... Actually, I don't, I don't know that Jared and I talked about tarot, but I think this might be... It's either the first... We've talked about tarot on this more than we have on any other podcast recently. Um, What what is your stance? How do you how do you present? I know you kind of touched on how you don't make any statements about supernatural power. It's uh, not just that there are no statements about. I I make a statement essentially saying that it's not supernatural. That it's whatever baggage they think is coming along with the cards or with me as a performer. Or me as a person, well, that's just wrong. You know, mm-hmm. that, like whatever brick wall you had in in your brain just evaporated because I told you that I don't, I don't believe in the supernatural. Yeah. So, how could I? I think it makes it yeah. so much more beautiful that way. It's free from guile, right? <laughs> For what? Free from guile, <laughs> like before. <laughs> a little inside joke about the streets of San Diego. That's right. They're an amazing and miraculous place. Not wholly free from guile. No, no, they're not. Um, but I think it's just... Uh, art is about interpreting what the artist put into the world. And when you can sit down with somebody and your art is interpreting what you both experience together. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. And that's so much more powerful than, you know, throwing up this ridiculous notion that it's 
uh, you know, supernatural or, or there are, there are twenty two angels, and there's one attached to each of these cards, and their little wings flutter every time I shuffle the cards to put the ones that are for you right into position. Just trying to which shuffle noise. You know, if that's the way, I I don't have a problem with someone if if that is genuinely the way that they view the world. That might be a beautiful metaphor for them, and I'm not trying to stamp on their belief in the supernatural at the same time, you know. But it's it's essentially me pointing out the fact that that isn't necessary. We don't need, mm-hmm. we don't need that for for us to find meaning there. Yeah, you know, we we can ask questions, and I point out the fact that that asking questions of pieces of paper is absurd. But that doesn't mean we can't find value there, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, that it, it doesn't mean that it that it's without use, um, and that it is inherently a poetical act. You know, it it really is a magical act. But but explaining it to them in the terms of poetry is 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 probably the easiest one for them to understand because they they kind of know, even though most people don't read poetry. They kind of know what it's supposed to do. Yeah, you know, they know how it's supposed to hit them, whether a, whether a poem ever has made that impression or not. So they know that it's supposed to be powerful in that way, and they can understand that 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 these cards are supposed to be powerful in the same way. Yeah. So uh, this is definitely the episode where we've talked about tarot the most. Uh, also, to continue answering your question, I've never had to hold the microphones before. So that's a weird thing. Yeah, that's, uh, I don't know if it's, a, if it's a step in the right direction or the wrong direction. This is, I've, the people who listen to this podcast uh, will note that at no point did I have to ask if we were recording yet, <laughs> which is a common theme with, with a lot of these episodes. That's true. I was curious to see what, what that process looked like, though, because I've heard it so many times. People going, are we recording? Yeah. And, and you're like, yeah, we've been recording for about 10 minutes. Yeah. And they're like, what? <laughs> so I can like, so I can describe to you the the setup. Yes, but well, I don't I don't know if I want everybody else who listens to the podcast to know. Okay, well, it would just be a secret. Then. No, you can tell them if you want to. No, we'll wait until after. Oh, good. <laughs> no, no, none of you get to know. <laughs> now it's a secret. Um, I'm getting kind of hungry, so I think we should do the final few questions and wrap it up and. Go okay. get something to eat. Yeah, food food sounds good. Okay, I have cool. to fly in like... I know we have to go to bed very, very soon. <laughs> yeah, I have to fly <laughs> so early in the morning. Um, so, what's your favorite piece of literature? My favorite piece of literature? Hmm. Just like any... Anything. Any codex, essentially. <laughs> or, or do you want something specifically from the realm of literature? Um, whatever. Hmm. There's so many things in so many genres that I just love. Um, that's such a tough question to answer. There's so many things, and it constantly changes depending on what I'm reading at the moment. Yeah. Right now, if you if you like, what do you want to read right now? I'm reading. I'm reading through uh, uh, Jorge Luis Borges, and I would be like. Can I just pick that up and finish the the story and the <laughs> next one and the next one? 
um, because it's amazing, you know. Um, but there, there have been so many things that were just really immensely powerful over the years, novels and other, everything. There's so many things. That's, I, I read a lot of books. I don't, it's, it seems unfair to try and pick a favorite. Sure. I, what are some, some of the powerful pieces of work that you've experienced? All of Vonnegut as just one big book. Well, you just read through all of it. Um, all of Robert Anton Wilson's stuff, even though it's kind of, it's pretty much out there, but it's, it's really fascinating and, and really affected the way that I look at things. And that I read through that stuff the first time years and years ago. Um, Martin Amos, London Fields is, is amazing. Um, Andre Breton, um, communicating vessels and Nadia and, uh, and Arcanum 17, it's another reference to the tarot. It's, uh, so many, so many things. Uh, now I'm like, which one is king? Which one is king of all of the books? It must be all, all of the works, everything written by Neil Gaiman and the comic books of Alan Moore and, and the novels of Alan Moore. Um, there, there's some, some really just powerful stuff out there in a lot of different genres Grant Morrison's graphic novels. Uh, some of those are like, whoa. Yeah, totally. Um, so many things. Okay. Yeah. Those are good answers. All of, all of the things. All the things. Yeah. Well, that's that's what it's all about, right? Yeah. Experiencing life with wonder. Right. Um, it's like a treasury of wonder. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're done. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I I made him break. It's amazing. It's great. <laughs> that. Oh, zing, zing! God, I wish I had a soundboard with like donkey fart noises. <laughs> <laughs> See, you can be funny even though most of this is all serious. We've got laughs in the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did a good job. Nice and round. Um, and then um, maybe a work of film or television <sighs> strikes your fancy currently. Um, a ghost story is available now. VOD <laughs> available now. I I really do love that movie. Uh, everything by Yadorovsky, El Topo, Holy Mountain, his newest movie, Endless Poetry, that actually premiered in Texas at the same uh, film festival that a ghost story premiered oh, in wow. Texas at, at the Texas Theater. Um. Now, is that a coincidence or what? Am I right? <laughs> Am I right, guys? <laughs> it's like I knew it was going to happen. Attach your own meanings. Off by two. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know in what way I would have been off by two there. Uh, Yadorovsky's Dune, which is a documentary about him, uh, which is great. There's a, a wonderful movie about, um, about my friend Enrique Enriquez called Terology. That is one of the one of the things that got me so deep into the tarot. Well, uh, is that that film, and then all of his books and and things that are available. So if you if you come across anything by Enrique Enriquez, or he's offering in any way for you to let him give him money for a thing, you should do that. 
because it's all amazing and like life changing. And then, uh, what was the time in which you felt the biggest moment of astonishment when you were totally dumbfounded and completely bamboozled? Hmm. And then after that, I'm going to ask when you felt like the most powerful magic experience. Hmm. Okay. Well, so now I know it. They can't be the same thing. They can, well, they could be the they're, same thing. Uh, if they if they're the same thing, then they're the same thing. I mean the. <laughs> I mean, any time that I'm that I'm fooled completely nowadays, it's it's almost like like the most amazing time. And I mean that still happens, not frequently, but it 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 still happens, and I and I love it. You know, it's. It's like, wow, <laughs> this is, I don't know. I don't know how to use the power that's in this thing or, or where, where this is even going. Mm-hmm. You know, when that, you know, when you get that point where you know you're going to be fooled. Oh yeah. You're not even, yes. like it's not even done yet. And you're just like, oh no, oh no. <laughs> but, but it's really, oh yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Yes, this is, this is totally going to happen. Uh, so, I mean, basically each time that happens and someone has engaged me in, in that way, it's it kind of feels just as big as any other time. You know, it's like, wow, this is this is this is amazing. Yeah. Some some not just, oh, I missed something. And then you backtrack and figure out what it was. And you're like, OK, now I'm caught up. <laughs> you know, that's yeah, yeah, that's not it. It's. When you just know you don't have a choice right now, you you don't have a chance in figuring it out at this moment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's great. Do you have a specific example of maybe the most recent time? It doesn't have to be a good story. When we were putting together uh, the effects for for the tarot booklet that we that we put out, Jared showed me something that he found in an old issue of Bascom Jones Magic, and fooled me. Over and over and over again. I mean, he did this thing five or six times, and and it just didn't occur to me the way the simple way. Just like all the things are simple, it it wasn't getting put together in my brain that way. And I was just like, "What? What is happening? These are tarot cards that we made, and did you put something in them <laughs> that I didn't know about? Right? Like all of the." All of the extravagant solutions that that a layperson would try and make about a thing, I'm I'm basically coming up with more finely tuned and professional <laughs> versions of those. It's like he put flash work into them. Right? Like, like there, there's something there. How else did he know? And that was just in like check this out. <laughs> pick a card right? like, <laughs> just not really even with a presentation or anything it was just here now i know what it is right mm-hmm. over and over again and mm-hmm. i it just wasn't occurring to me why that would be so uh which is uh, like yeah it's it's just great you're like this, whatever this is this is fantastic i don't know what it is i know it's going to be something simple it must be but whatever it is it's great. Yeah. And then what about the feeling of magic? The feeling of magic. Hmm. And so the the feeling of magic is is basically what I'm trying to 
to give to people all the time. So now it, it usually happens with things that just happened at random and, and learning how to point at them in the right way, you know, and just learning how to notice. Um, so this, uh, this happened a couple of months ago, but I was, I was outside talking to a guy and they were, he was asking me questions about readings and the tarot and all of that kind of stuff. And I got a notification on my phone. So I pulled my, my phone out of my pocket, but when I did it, it caught a tarot card and it fluttered to the ground face down. And so all I do nowadays really is wait for things like that to happen. And normally you just pick up the card and move on with your life, right? But, but instead it, it turned into, uh, hey, that, that's a tarot card on the ground. And he, he's reaching to, to help me pick it up. And, and I said, wait, wait, wait. If you pick that up, you have to keep it. He's like, what? <laughs> right, but because that's that's what they're gonna do, you know. Is like, wait, what? What does that mean? Because they know there's meaning there. Mm-hmm. It's just if you decide not to pick it up, that's fine, and it'll stay there, and someone else will come along and they'll pick it up and they'll keep it, no matter what. That person is gonna keep it, but if you pick it up and take it away from them, then you have to keep it. And then he has a decision to make, right? Does he want to? Does he want to pick up the card or doesn't he? And I think it's in those little moments, right? That's that's when that's when the really strong stuff is going on, is because no matter what, it now has meaning for him. It's already the strongest thing that's going to happen to him that day, and now he has to decide if he wants it to be his story that ends right there, or if he gets to take home a relic of this peculiar interaction. And so he picked up the card, and it was death. <laughs> and I didn't I didn't know what card it was. Uh and he's like, Whoa, right? Now it's even stronger. Yeah. And then I have a conversation with him for a few minutes about the card and how the cards work in general and, and what I see in the card when I look at it. And uh yeah, it was a fun 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 little moments like that, you know. Well, I think that's a beautiful answer. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. So I th- Normally, you do like, what's your favorite book? What's your favorite magic book? What's your favorite you magic that. book? No, I was it's, I'm sorry. It's, over. it's the only question I had a prepared answer for. Oh, good. I'm glad we didn't do it then. <laughs> 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 Even though most of this conversation we'd already had at some point right. this weekend, I should have mentioned the I mentioned the Terology movie, but there's a book called Terology as well, uh, also by Enrique Enriquez. That's probably that's. Not probably. That's definitely my favorite book because I've read it more than any other book, and it's amazing. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Sean. This has been wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on and holding microphones. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I'll tell you. I'll tell you how it works. All right. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening to Magical Thinking. If you enjoyed the show, head over to patreon.com, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash magical thinking and become a patron to support the show and get access to exclusive content like magic audiobooks, tips on style and fashion, a revamped book club, behind the scenes pictures and video, audio answers to your magic questions, and more. You can get in touch with me by emailing podcast at artofmagic.com. And when you're finished, 
head into your podcast app and leave a rating and a review for Magical Thinking. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time. Cheers. Cheers.